We're continuing through the book of Acts, and we're looking today at the latter part of Acts chapter 8, and uh, we'll be looking at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And that story is found beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. As we look at the book of Acts unfold, we can see the way that Luke is very carefully constructing uh, or telling this story to reflect what's happening, particularly in light of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which, in which Jesus says before his ascension, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And in Acts chapter 8, the latter two of those places are brought into the equation. Uh, Philip, in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, has moved into Samaria to teach the gospel there. Now, if you know the history of the Jews and the Samaritans, this is a radical move. For the Samaritans were not people that the Jews thought were worthy of God's love, of God's grace. They were different and therefore not part of God's plan. But in Jesus Christ and in his message to share with all the world, they realized that, yes, Jerusalem, yes, the surrounding area of Judea, but yes, even Samaria is our mission field and then the uttermost parts of the earth. So Philip has moved to Samaria, has had some successful ministry there, and now he has been called by the Holy Spirit without really realizing it to take the message to the uttermost parts of the earth. For the people from Ethiopia, even though the world is much bigger at that time, were thought to be from the edges or right near the edge of the earth. They were faraway people, exotic, even their skin was a different color than the people, most of the people in that area. And so they were thought to be 
as I said, exotic, uh, people who were foreign, representing the rest of the world. So in this passage, Philip shares the gospel with someone who is going to take it to the rest of the world. Now, of course, that, that mission was just beginning then and still has not come to its completion. We are still called to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our neighbors, with our community, and with the rest of the world. And the way Philip knew what to do was to listen, to listen for God's leading. And we see that God led him in in two different ways. First, it says that an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go south. And then the Holy Spirit himself told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And we sometimes sit back and wait for some message like that, you know, the arrow through the window, the flaming arrow with the message attached to it, that we have to grab the message before the flame gets to it. Uh, But anyway, odd idea, right? (laughs) And we wait for those messages that come in some supernatural way thinking, well, that's how I'll finally know what God wants me to do. But... We don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip. The Holy Spirit could have been that still small voice in Philip's mind, in Philip's heart, guiding him to do what God wanted him to do. And the only way to hear that still small voice in our mind and in our heart is to listen. It's also very important to realize that God is at work all the time in all kinds of places. And our job is not to necessarily initiate the work of God, but to cooperate with the work of God. And that's the wonderful thing about our mission as believers, that Jesus Christ, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, guides us and is already at work. So it is not in our own human power that we do this mission, this mission work. It is by the power of God at work within us, and God guides us, and then God empowers us, and then God works in those with whom we share to to guide their hearts and minds to understand this message. For God is at work all around us in people we would expect him to be working in and in people we wouldn't expect him to be working in. And it is not ours to make it happen. It is our job to cooperate with what God is already doing in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting if you understand um, a little bit of Greek, which is as much as I understand. In Matthew 28, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, we read it in our translation as, now go and make disciples. But a better rendering of the Greek is, as you go, make disciples. And this whole section in the book of Acts is about so the resistance and the, whole, um, re- the main reason why Stephen was stoned, was, was killed, is because he was trying to get the people to realize that the work of God is not just in the temple. The work of God is all around them and into the uttermost parts of the, wor- of the earth. 
But the people wanted to hold on to their traditions, hold on to what they already knew, the way things have always been, and in so doing, they were unwilling to follow God into the places that God wanted them to go. So when Jesus said, as you go, he's saying you will be going. For many, many years, the church was able to sit on a corner and have good programs, and people would say, that church has good programs, I'm going to go check it out. And we've been lulled into a complacency by that, but that world, in most places in our nation, no longer exists. And the little bits of that world that do still exist are fading away. So we get back to the way they had to do it in the book of Acts, which means going. Not just waiting for people to come to us, but going into the world, into our community, with the love of Jesus Christ, sharing that love with those around us. And sometimes God may lead us to a place we don't understand. But remember, God is there, and God's mission is there. So wherever it is that God is leading you, follow and be faithful. So let's look at this guy, this Ethiopian. It's very interesting to read the commentaries on this man. Um, you can read and, and sermons. Some of the sermons talk about this Ethiopian, a person who would have been not welcomed by most of the people in the area because he looked different. This man who was a eunuch, who um, in, the, in the Deuteronomic Code uh, was not allowed to enter the temple because he was a eunuch. And they marvel at the grace of God to reach out to an outcast person. And then you can read another commentary, another sermon, and you read about this Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch being not necessarily a castrated person, but a person who has dedicated him or herself to the, the, the service of the, of the leadership. So Philip, I mean, the, this eunuch, may have not been castrated. He may have just been a person who had dedicated himself to the ministry of the queen. And he's really the CFO of all of Ethiopia, the chief financial officer. He holds the books, the financial books for Ethiopia. He's an important guy. You know, you have to be pretty important in that time to ride in a chariot. And as much as we take for granted having books in our homes, you have to be really wealthy to own a scroll in that time. So this man is a very wealthy and powerful and important person in the eyes of the world. Or is he a poor, pathetic eunuch who is an outcast? Which story do we tell? Do we use this passage to say God wants to reach out to those who are marginalized, either through their skin color, their race, their nationality, their sexuality? Or do we say God wants to reach out to the important, the honored, the wealthy people in our midst? Which is it? Well, it's both.
And we tend to draw lines uh, that we think we're, we're being faithful to draw lines of where we sit um, above other people. And we say, well, God might want me to reach down. Or we might draw a line and say, oh, I'm supposed to reach up to someone important. But folks, the ground is level at the cross. There is no one better, no one worse, no one more deserving or less deserving of the grace and love of God. So we are to share that love of God with everybody, with all kinds of people. And there is no one, no one, who is outside of that love. And if we draw lines, if we draw lines in our minds or in our hearts uh, around certain groups of people to say, they are not people that I value, or we draw lines saying, oh, they are so much more important than I, we're making a mistake a big mistake, a mistake that fails to reflect the heart of God. God is revealing his heart to Philip, and Philip is hearing God's voice and responding. And he listens to the Holy Spirit, who says, go up to that chariot. Now, we can assume most likely that the chariot is not pulled over at a rest area, but the chariot is moving along, and Philip is called by the Holy Spirit to go up to that chariot, and he probably has to jog or, or run alongside the chariot to hear what the Ethiopian is reading. And it was common in the day to read out loud. So he would have been able to hear what the Ethiopian was reading. And I, I always, when I come across this passage, remember a guy that my sister dated in high school. Yeah, why? Well, I'll tell you. Um, you know how it is when you're dating in high school and you go over to the girlfriend's house. It's, it's a little nerve-wracking, right? You meet the parents, you see the parents. Well, my mom was sitting in her chair reading a book. And this guy came into the house and said, you're reading a book. <laughs> and our family history has never forgotten that poor guy who asked if mom was reading a book when she was clearly reading a book. But that's not what's happening here. It's clear that the Ethiopian is reading a book. He's reading out loud, for goodness sake. And Philip knows the story that he's reading. He knows exactly the words that the Ethiopian is reading. But his question is, do you understand what you're reading? And we talk about maybe um, Philip condescends to the Ethiopian, but maybe... The Ethiopian condescends to Philip, for he is a wealthy man, and he invites Philip into the chariot. That's an unusual thing to have happen. But the Ethiopian is humble enough to realize that he needs something more than what he has. He has just come from Jerusalem. He clearly is someone who wants to worship God, who wants to know God, but he doesn't get it, and he wants to understand more.
And this is the passage, passage the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And he wants to know, who is this about? I wonder if he wondered, as a person who was not going to marry, who was not going to have children, if he resonated with that part of verse 33 that said, who can speak of his descendants? And related to this person that was being described by Isaiah. But he wondered. He knew that there was a promise in this section of Scripture, and he wanted to know what the promise was. And Philip explained it to him. He explained the story, the big story. And I think the big story is the best message we have for the world. And the big story starts with a creator God who made everything good. His intention for humanity, his intention for creation was goodness, glory, wonder. But the story goes on to say that something broke. Rebellion came in to the human heart, and therefore brokenness entered throughout this creation. And that's where we live now. In a creation that was created to be good, but with brokenness all around us and inside of us. And we try to fix ourselves by claiming one identity or another, we may try to say, well, I'm like the Ethiopian could, I'm wealthy, I'm powerful, I'm honored, I have a really good job. And say, well, I don't have it all. I haven't totally fixed this brokenness, but I'm better than some. Or maybe... And I've seen people like this, and it is heartbreaking, people who embrace their brokenness as the core of their identity. And there's an honesty in that, but it's also very sad. And they live rather hopeless lives, not believing that there's any more for them. They need this message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Just as someone who puts his or her identity in wealth or power or position needs this new identity that is in Jesus Christ. Because we all carry that brokenness. We all carry that hurt. We all carry that pain. And the message that Isaiah 53 is pointing us to is the message of the one who came to this earth to live a sinless life, who came to conquer sin, to conquer that brokenness, and to, in resurrecting from the dead, claimed victory over sin, claimed victory over death, and promises a whole new kingdom, a whole new reign, a whole new reality in which everything will be made right and every heart will find its home. That's the message that Philip got to share with this man to help him to 
claim a whole new identity, a whole new sense of self, a sense of self that's not based just in himself or not just based in his comparison with other, himself with other people, but an identity that is anchored in the reign of God, an identity that is anchored in the love of God. This is the identity that we have too in Jesus Christ. And this is what the world so desperately needs. Whether they admit their brokenness or not, it's there. And Jesus Christ came to bring wholeness. And we have that story to tell. So the Ethiopian says, sees water and says, what would keep me from being baptized? He wants to claim this new identity. He wants to do it right now. It's a good thing that Philip wasn't a Presbyterian pastor. That's all I have to say about that. Because... <laughs> If he were, he'd have to go back to the session, get approval for the baptism, set up some counseling sessions, and make sure that everything was in place so that he could say, okay, now, a month or two later, we, we, can, we can go into that, back to that water. But the answer that Philip had to the question of what would keep me from being baptized is nothing. Because he knew that this man had received a whole new life, a whole new identity through the truth of this story of Jesus Christ. And he wanted to claim that through the waters of baptism. And Philip said, there is nothing, nothing that keeps you, my friend, from this new self, this new life. So he took him to the water and baptized him. We have the same story. We have the same message of grace and love and purpose. And there are two things I'd like to encourage you to do about that story. The first is receive it. Whatever is in your life that is defining you apart from Christ, apart from this new life in him, lay that down and find the glory and the wonder and the purpose and the joy of setting your whole self on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the second thing, of course, just like Philip did, I encourage you to share this. And throughout the book of Acts, I, I've been encouraging this as we've looked at the book of Acts and seen the church sharing the message, I've encouraged you to share it. And it's important that we do that. But sometimes I find or I fear that there's something in us that says, no, I can't, because I haven't really gotten it well enough. Well, there are two things to say about that. One is, it's not you, it's the message, so go ahead and share it. And number two is, yes, cultivate your relationship with God. Cultivate that sense of new life. And as you do, I'm pretty sure that the work of God will bubble up within you so strongly 
that you will naturally share this magnificent story with those around you. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for this story that changes our lives, that gives us hope beyond any hope we find in this world, that gives us a sense of meaning and purpose and full acceptance by our Creator. Help us to receive this truth more and more and more. And then to share this truth more and more faithfully. I pray for your hand to be upon this church, to strengthen us, to serve you well, to hear your voice, to heed your call, and to live as those who are made new by the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.